Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. 710 ESPN presents The Experience with Laverne Cusack. Where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of the experience, the Fern Cusack. Fern Cusack. I'm Lafern Cusack here with 710 ESPN. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm speaking with Sarah. Ordover. She is senior living expert with a particular specialization in dementia care. And for all of you that have family members in a living facility or may have to choose that, she's here to answer all your questions. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. How did you get into being a caregiver? Right. Well, I had a family member, my dad, who really had a lot of issues at the end stages of his life, both mental and uh, physical and financial. And then we had a lot of family dynamics. I had gone through uh, a lot of difficulty in caring for him and, and, and dealing with my family situation. Um, I had moved to Los Angeles uh, and was looking for a new career, my last career, one where I could both have a social impact and, of course, you know, make enough money to be able to live comfortably here in Los Angeles. I was out to dinner one night with a friend of mine, a, a new acquaintance, And she was telling me about what she did, that she had a service uh, to help families when a family member could no longer live at home to find the right assisted living, memory care, independent living, or in-home care solution, and that her service was free. I was like, oh, my God, why didn't I have that (laughs) when I was going through this with my dad? I want to do this. I understand the need for this. I understand this business. And so I um, uh, got some training as an aging specialist and dementia dementia training and uh, aging and uh, actually bought a franchise uh, called Assisted Living Locators in Los Angeles, which the company was started by a nurse. Uh, out of Scottsdale. And so I opened the Los Angeles office. And so I had the clinical support I needed. Uh, and now I've been doing this for five years and have helped thousands of families. Some of them have turned into opportunities for me to place them. But a lot of times I'm just talking to families who find me on the internet and wherever and just trying to help them through what's a very sticky situation. Yes, and it's assistedlivinglocatorsla.com. So, right. So what are some of the challenges you're seeing with COVID-19? Well, I mean, you have a number of different challenges. You have one, what do I do with my parents? Should I move them right now? Is it safe to do that? And that's a huge, huge predicament for families because you have many families where, you know, you have somebody who's had a stroke. Let's say the husband has had a stroke. 
and he's living at home with his wife and he's 90 and she's 88 and he needs help getting in and out of bed, getting in and out of the bathtub, going up and down stairs. It's too much for her physically to handle. In-home care, uh, if you work with a licensed agency, which I highly recommend, can cost fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 a month for 24-hour care. And so the family's left with a real dilemma right now. Should I, how do I keep my, my husband at home or should I move him? And is it safe if I move him? Uh, that is a huge issue. The second issue you have is you have people who are living in assisted livings or in nursing homes and you can't visit them. So for two months now, families have been unable to go and visit their loved one. And that is creating an incredible amount of frustration and guilt uh, and disconnection uh, uh, with the parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle or friend who may be in a home um, with the family not knowing really how they're doing. So those are the two biggest issues that are that are happening in the current environment. I saw on the news uh, last week where uh, family members were going to uh, assisted living home doing drive-bys with hi, hi grandma, hi grandpa, and, and just waving hi from their cars. Um, have you seen a lot of that? Uh, you know, that kind of works. Some buildings aren't set up to do that, so not everybody can do that. Uh, you also have the issue that if somebody has dementia, and dementia, as I said, is a specialty of mine, if somebody has dementia, it can actually be really confusing. Why is my daughter outside the window? Why can't she come in? So, and it can be agitating. You know, one of the symptoms of dementia is agitation. And so it can be very agitating, a situation like that. So it's not necessarily better. Um, but I mean, yeah, if, if it can be managed and it, it, there's nothing wrong with that, and certainly people, that's one tactic that people can use, uh, doing uh, Facebook calls, Zoom calls, you know, having the staff to help the uh, elder adult do that. That's one. Um, writing letters. I actually am I'm putting about a little video to my clients this week saying, uh, let's do, let's all do this week. Let's do um, uh, care packages. You know, like when you yeah. send your kid to camp, let's put together boxes, right. get photos, get photos, uh, have everybody yeah. write letters, put foods in, put crossword puzzle books in, put books in. And that most of all, put stationary, blank stationary or blank cards and stamps in so that your loved one can write letters back. Mm -hmm. So that's something that people can do. It's a tough situation. There aren't a lot of easy answers. Yes. So going back to, you know, my memories of should we, you know, put my mother in assisted living or not, um, First of all, like my dad was like against it all. He wasn't well, but he was going to lift her and do everything he needed to do. And he's a man. He can do it. How do you know when it's time to do that? There's an emotional thing of I'm taking care of my mom. I'm taking care of my dad and nobody else can. Right, right, what you, right. What do you say to people? 
Well, I mean, first and foremost, what I say to them is taking care of your mom doesn't mean that you have to take care of your mom. It means you need to take the best care of your mom, and that's not always you doing it. It's a hard thing for people to get their head around because, you know, they've they've grown up saying, oh, I'll, I promised I'd keep my mother at home. But And sometimes that works, but there are a lot of studies that show that people actually do better. As hard as it is to make the translation, people actually do better when they're in a community that knows how to care for them and that provides them with the socialization that's proper for their situation. And because socialization is the number one thing that individuals need besides needing food and water and to feel safe, they need to feel community. So you're keeping your mom at home and you're working all day and your mom's sitting around watching TV uh, and probably not eating well. That's not good for her. Uh, And it's just not good for her. And there are so many opportunities. People look at moving out of the home as the end of life. And it doesn't have to be. If you have the ability to find a life-affirming place that respects someone's dignity, a person can actually thrive and find a whole new lease on life. Yes, absolutely. And But when dementia is added to it, that's just another layer of complexity, yes? Well, dementia is tough. There, there comes a point with almost every one of my clients where they say, I'm going to take care of her, I'm going to take care of her, I'm going to take care of her, I'm going to take care of her. Okay, now I can't. Because dementia is a progressive disease. What people don't understand is that dementia is a disease. And it's progressive and it's not curable. And if you look at dementia as a spectrum, and on the left-hand side, you have those people that are very at the earliest stages, it's called mild cognitive impairment. That's where people may be repetitive, they may be forgetful, um, they may uh, not be tracking conversations, they, but, you know, they're still functioning to a degree. And then you go along the scale, and then you have at the very right-hand side, you have the end stages of dementia. And, it, it, and the majority of people who have dementia have Alzheimer's. So you have to look at dementia is an umbrella term like cancer. And under cancer, you have a lot of different kinds. You have lung cancer, you have breast cancer, you have testicular cancer, you have different kinds. It's the same thing with dementia. Dementia is the umbrella. The most common form of dementia is Alzheimer's, but there are other ones. There's vascular dementia. There's Lewy body, which is what Robin Williams died of. But in any event, most people have Alzheimer's that get it. So you start on the left-hand side with this mild cognitive impairment, and that may or may not, people who have mild cognitive impairment may or may not develop dementia. If they do, it will be progressive. And at the end stages, people actually, they forget how to eat. They forget how to stand. Their brain, it's not even that they're forgetting. Their brain is literally deteriorating. That's the disease. And so the parts of their brain that had memory and that had the ability to tell the body to walk are not there anymore. Um, And so when somebody has dementia, 
you know, in the early stages, okay, my mom can stay at home or my dad can stay at home or my husband can stay at home. But there gets to be a point where it really is a super difficult task. And in fact, you're not helping them by keeping them at home because there are so many ways that trained professionals can give somebody a better quality of life in terms of, once again, having activities and having a community that understands what's happening with them and can meet them at their level. My friend, her mother had dementia. She was diagnosed with dementia. And then about three months later, she passed away. And it was so quick. And I wondered why that was. Yeah, she probably had it for eight, ten years, and it just went undiagnosed. Oh. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't get diagnosed. They just think, you know, it used to be the word senility. Senility is dementia. And so a lot of people think, oh, that's just the way people are when they get old. But it's not how people are when they get old. There's, it's not. It's not normal. It's a disease. Uh, and so a lot of people just pass it under the rug. Or I would be curious, did this per, was this person's husband alive? And was that the husband compensating for her? Mm. And so once no, she's left alone... Yeah. Okay, so, you know, there can be a lot of factors. People don't just drop dead after three months from dementia. You know, I mean, it is progressive. Um, it may be that they've had a stroke or something, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, there, there's some other disease factor, comorbidity that's come into play. And I'm not a medical professional, so, you know, I'm just telling you from my little knowledge of this. Uh, but generally, yes. it would be some other some other event that caused the death unless they really went undiagnosed till the end. So what should we look for in our our parents and our loved ones in regards to dementia? Well, as I said, mild cognitive impairment, one thing people have to understand is that it is a disease that is often related to age. Although you can have early onset Alzheimer's, Um, and there are people that I've had clients in their 50s and 60s, generally uh, people are diagnosed in their 80s and one in three or one in four people over 85 have some form of cognitive decline. Um, The early signs are what we call mild cognitive impairment and as I said, that's, uh, I don't know if anybody's watched This Is Us, but This Is Us has a beautiful storyline going through it where the mother is, has mild cognitive impairment and it's Thanksgiving and she decides to go and buy flowers uh, for the Thanksgiving dinner. And while she's out buying the flowers, she forgets that it's Thanksgiving and she takes herself out to a Chinese restaurant and then she forgets where she is and how to get home. So that's a perfect example of mild cognitive impairment. She's okay. Yes. She's functioning. She, she walks and she talks and she can have days of complete lucidity with her family, but then there'll be mm-hmm. an episode like that. And that's a tremendous, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a great example 
of the kind of thing that might happen. Or you go, you go to visit your parents. They're living on their own. You go to visit your mom or your dad, and there are piles of bills that have been unpaid. There's no food in the fridge, or the food in the fridge is bad. Those are warning signs. They're unkempt looking. It looks like they're not bathing or grooming themselves. Big warning sign. And they're withdrawing from social activities. Those are the four major warning signs that somebody may be having cognitive decline. People tend to withdraw from activities when they become conscious that they're not keeping up in the activity. And so instead of participating, they withdraw. That is so true. Like my my mother, she didn't want to go out. She didn't, you know, she she loved going to this one place uh, in Colorado Springs and she didn't want to do anything. And, you know, my father was like, come on, let's do this. Let's do this. And she just didn't want to do that. Uh, right. And you're not you're not doing them any you're not doing them any favors. You're just making them more and more uncomfortable and embarrassed because in, when somebody is having this memory decline, they know it. They know it. And that's, that's what's so sad. You know, later on, they don't know what, you know, they don't have as much consciousness about what's going on. But in those early days, they do. And, and so withdrawal is a real thing. And I'm so sorry that your mom was social and withdrew from social activities. And that's where going to a, um, adult program, a day program that's geared to people with dementia or going to an assisted living that has programming geared to people with memory loss is such a blessing because they're able to participate in activities and they're with other people who are at their level and they're doing they're doing the same kinds of activities and they can joke about it. There's one place here in LA where they have a, um, uh, a rap session. I don't know what you call it. They have, they have sessions where they get together and talk and they just are joking at how ridiculous they've all become, you know, because they know it. And it's, <laughs> and it's such a relief for them to have people that they can talk to and who can acknowledge with yes. them what it is they're feeling. Um, all, Alzheimer's Los Angeles is a fantastic, um, is an, a fantastic nonprofit. I'm going to put in the pitch for them, alzla.org, and they do free counseling and they have uh, free workshops and they have programs uh, for people with dementia as, as well as the caregivers. And, and they are the first people I go to whenever I have a question. How does Alzheimer's fit in? Okay, so as I said, dementia is the umbrella. Alzheimer's is the most prominent form of dementia. About 80% of people who have some type of dementia have Alzheimer's. So if your family member is suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's and you're at the point where you physically are unable to take care of your family member, how do you know what to choose? Well, you know, that's where people like me come in that are senior living experts. Uh, there are in L.A., in L.A. proper, in this metro L.A., there are about 200 different places. There are a lot of uh, assisted livings, some that cater to people with dementia and some that don't. Um, you know, at my service is free to families, and I know all the places in L.A. Um, 
my job is to make the right match so that you have the highest chance of success. Uh, and one of the tricks is, particularly with somebody with dementia, is finding a place that fits where they are. Um, I hate it when, when somebody who's in these early stages and still walking and talking and, and eating and socializing to put somebody like that in an environment where you have people in wheelchairs being fed. That is not healthy because while you can't stop dementia, it is a progressive disease that is terminal, you can slow its progression. And the way you slow its progression is by keeping your person who has the dementia mentally, physically, and spiritually, emotionally engaged. Um, and so finding the right fit of of a community is important. And that only comes through knowing the places and understanding the disease and what to look for. Uh, and that's what I do. I mean, there are a lot of good places out there, um, but really making that right choice the first time um, is an expertise. So have you seen uh, facilities that are able to actively fight against COVID-19? Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, the problem with the media right now is they're lumping together nursing homes and assisted livings. And they actually have two very de- different demographics and different, st- you know, uh, statistics. So nursing homes, and once again, I have data from Metro LA, not all of LA County. I'm talking about just our immediate area. In Metro LA, about 57% of the nursing homes have at least one active COVID uh, uh, outbreak, one person. But in assisted livings, it's only about 23%. So while that's a terrible number, it's not close to what it is in nursing homes, but they're being lumped together. If you look at actual numbers of people in assisted living, there are about, let's say, 20,000 people, I think it is, 19 and change, living in assisted livings in Metro LA. About 450 people have COVID over out of more than 19,000. So it's terrible that 450 people have it, but assisted livings are a different situation. The way they're set up, they're just a very different environment than a nursing facility. Can you tell us the differences? So, um, okay, this is, <laughs> so, okay, there are two types of nursing homes, nursing facilities. You have skilled nursing, which is what most people know of. That's where when you go to the hospital and you've had hip replacement or you've had some kind of surgery and you need more recuperation before you can go home, you go to a skilled nursing facility. Um, it is generally the purpose of being there is short term. It's for future recuperation and rehabilitation. If you're over 65, it's covered by Medicare. If you're under 65, it's generally covered by your insurance. So that's one kind of nursing facility. That's called skilled nursing. The acronym is a SNF. you'll hear. Okay. The other type of nursing facility is a what what is commonly referred to as a nursing home. And that's a long-term care facility that is 
set up like a skilled nursing, only it keeps people there permanently. And most of the people who live in skilled nursing, uh, in nursing homes versus a SNF, are living there permanently because they are lower income and that they are living there because that's what Medicaid or in California, that's what Medi-Cal pays for. So in a nursing home, you theoretically get the same type of service that you get it in assisted living. The difference really is income level. And in some cases, the people are, are there because they're way sicker. They have some kind of condition that can't, that's prohibited in an assisted living. Uh, so the difference though, between a nursing home and an assisted living, a nursing home is still a medical environment. It still looks like a nursing home, a nursing facility. There may be two to four people in a room. It's a, uh, medical looking environment. Um, there are nurses and it, it's antiseptic. An assisted living is a residential environment. An assisted living looks more like a hotel. People generally have their own private rooms, their own private bathrooms. There are dining rooms and movie theaters and activity rooms. And there's care staff on premises. So, you know, so you have caregivers there to take care of you, but you are living there permanently. You may bring your own furniture. You bring your own furniture and you decorate and it becomes your apartment or the place that you live only you have people taking care of you. So that's the difference. And the main, um, the main reason, as I said, that people are in skilled nurse, I mean, in nursing facilities versus assisted living, unfortunately, is money. Right, which is so heartbreaking because to choose the care based on, well, does my insurance you know, pay for it or not? It's right, right. Well, insurance does not pay for assisted living. I mean, people don't understand that. Everybody thinks, oh, well, my Medicare is going to pay for assisted living when I get old. No, no, it doesn't. The the only thing right now, right now, the only thing that you pay, you pay for assisted living out of pocket. The only coverage that you may get help is if you have long-term care insurance, and I highly recommend everybody get long-term care insurance, another one of my plugs, because it makes the difference in, you know, you can go to some really nice places with that long-term care insurance. Uh, long-term care insurance, or if you're a veteran, you may be able to get veterans aid in attendance, okay? And there may be some other vehicles that can help subsidize, but those are the two main ones besides, you know, out-of-pocket pay. Um, there is Medi-Cal in California. Medi-Cal does have something called the Assisted Living Waiver Program, um, which does let some people live in assisted living on Medi-Cal, but it's a really, really limited program, and there is a huge waiting list uh, to be able to get a waiver to live in assisted living on Medi-Cal. I mean, to me, it's just crazy. It, nursing homes are more expensive than assisted living, um, and our population is aging. Uh, I would love to see Medicaid opening itself up to more types of living situation for older adults. 
Do you think that's a possibility or? Well, it varies state by state. I don't know. I, I mean, to be frank, I don't know what all the regulations are in every state. Medicaid is a, is a government fund that's administered by the states. So every state has its own formula. Um, I just know here in California, the only opportunity to use Medi-Cal, Medicaid for California, Medi-Cal for assisted living is through the waiver program. And I think they're giving out about 5,000 waivers a year for the entire state of California. Um, something has got to be done. There are, our, our population, our aging population is exploding. Uh, and there just aren't enough places for people to live using this traditional paradigm. And people aren't saving. You know, people don't have the money to take care of themselves. More and more people will be dependent on Medi-Cal or Medicaid right. as they get older. And now mm -hmm. that a lot of people are out of work now, I mean, the one asked the other day, a friend, why don't you have a 401k or why, why aren't you... Why don't you have this savings? And it's like, well, you know, I'm living day to day and they can't save that extra money because everything is going else. Right. I, I honestly, I don't know. I'm not a policymaker at the national level or the state level. I don't know what is being worked on, but somebody really needs to be taking a serious look at the whole way we're taking care of our elders uh, because it's going to be a growing burden. It's a growing burden on the population, both financially, and it's a tremendous burden on families uh, on an individual level. The experience never stops. Never stops. On your station, 710 ESPN. Here's Laferne Cusack. I'm Laferne Cusack here with 710 ESPN. I'm speaking with Sarah Ordover. She is senior living expert with a particular specialization in dementia care. Now, I understand now the difference between a nursing home and uh, assisted living. So have you had conversations with the action plan for COVID-19 for each of those, or is it different? And if so, how? The Center for Disease Control, CDC, has issued protocols that everybody must follow. And so those are a baseline. And that's why, you know, one of them is that no visitors. So that's why nobody has seen their parent in two months, right? Uh, only essential right. Only essential people are allowed into buildings. Um, and in assisted living, and I believe in nursing homes, the only way a family member can come to visit is if that person is end of life and on hospice. There's compassionate care visits by family members. Um, you, you have uh, CDC, I believe, has protocols about... Uh, testing, um, not testing, but taking temperature and uh, reviewing staff members as they come into the building each day uh, and about, sanita about sanitation uh, and PPE. Beyond that, people, every place is doing their own thing. Some are doing a better job than others. Um, there are some that are doing a really great job. I've got 
one group, I know of one group of assisted livings that are in mid-city LA. <laughs> I don't know how, but they managed to get their hands on a whole load of uh, test kits. And, uh, oh, and awesome. they, and they just, they went out on their own and got them and they have been, uh, they have been proactively testing every resident and staff member uh, in their facilities and have done a really good job. Uh, I understand that Sunrise of Beverly Hills and Beverly Hills has done the same thing. You know, Sunrise has a large chain and over and above what the Sunrise Corporation has asked the facilities to do, they went out and found test kits and have been uh, testing their people. Um, you know, I, I know that one of the differences, one of the things about assisted living that people don't realize is that while they're profit making, just like nursing homes, I mean, they're all for profit businesses, uh, that there is a real ethos or the good ones anyway, in the assisted living world that I work with, have a emphasis on health and healing. I mean, they are committed. These are long-term people who are in their care, and they both from a regulatory standpoint uh, as well as from an ethical standpoint are committed to taking care of their residents. And I have seen some staff people just killing themselves to make sure that their residents are taken care of and working 24-7, it seems like. Um, and you have to give them credit. You know, you can't necessarily prevent COVID from entering a facility, no matter what it is. I mean, Ralph's has COVID outbreaks. You know, every place has it. It's a question it's of how. It's like when. It's everywhere. When. Right. So it's unrealistic to expect that, you know, every place is going to be completely pure. The, the question is what they do once there is an outbreak. And there are definitely some places that are doing a great job and some places that were just, you know, hit by a Mack truck when this all happened. My mother-in-law is in assisted living and we received COVID-19 updates. They're so transparent. It makes feel like comforted, like, oh my goodness, she's getting the best care she can and they're doing what they can and they're providing everything that they're doing and it's great that they're that that's their protocol right and that's what separates a good place from a bad place is communication communication because their constituency is not just their resident it's the family and a lot of the unhappy phone calls i'm getting from families is because the property where their mom dad whomever is living is not being transparent with them. So I commend that facility because once again, you may not be able to prevent an outbreak, but it's how you manage it. I actually was talking to one of my residents the other day and she's living at a facility that had one of the first and biggest outbreaks. I'm like, so how are you feeling about living there? She said, actually, I feel safer here than I would out in the wild because here, They are so taking care of me. I know that I'm safe here. Whereas if I was living at home and having to go to the grocery store, have people come in and out of my house, I wouldn't be as mm-hmm. protected as I am now. So, um, you know, certainly those are, those are good situations. There are some that, you know, frankly, just are not as good. But For the most part, I would say, you know, the 80-20 rule applies to everything in life. 
<laughs> I've finally come to realize that. <laughs> and I would say 80% of the assisted livings are doing a great job. <laughs> so it's a question of yes. knowing which those 80% are. But it's, it's also the thing where since we didn't know too much about this disease, about COVID-19, we didn't know how to plan and or once it took effect in nursing homes or, you know, assisted living, it was came by surprise. And then people tried to play catch up. That is so that is so true, Lafern. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking that's going on. There are a couple of places that had really bad early outbreaks and they were the first ones. And they had to learn on the job what it was all about. And also you had the whole learning process going on about what is this and and how do we treat it and what are, you know, what is the right protocol? And so they were learning day by day how to handle it. And they're being really badly judged <laughs> when yes. when they've been killing themselves to try to manage the situation using the information that they had at the time. Uh, and I feel badly for them because it's easy for them to, it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, look at what happened over there. But, you know, they, they really jumped on it uh, and did what they could uh, using the best data and the best practices that they could find as they went along. You know, it's, 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 what do they say? It's building the plane while you're flying it. Exactly. You know, I don't want to sound cliche, but we're all in it together and learning day by day, you know, what this disease is and how it spread and, you know, how we're dealing with it, how it goes in our immune system or like how our body is managing the disease. It's, it's, there's so much information. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really respect those caregivers and the nurses and, you know, the scientists that are, are providing us with more and more information every day. Yeah, my heart just goes out for caregivers. I think that caregivers, and I'm not talking about nurses or doctors or scientists, or I'm talking about those boots on the ground, $15 hour, an hour caregivers who are doing the real hard work in these facilities, be they nursing homes or assisted livings. They're the ones who are getting your parent out of bed and taking him and her to the bathroom, maybe even wiping them, getting them dressed, feeding them, helping them walk. I mean, the most basic, basic essentials of daily life. And they go home every day um, and have to then take care of their own families. Um, And I just love the caregivers because they work with such compassion and love and patience day after day in a very difficult situation. Absolutely. And when I was watching the care for People are angels. Like, thank you for taking care of my mom, for helping her, for, you know, being compassionate toward her. You say to the family members that may not know how to express what they're going through in taking care of, like, for instance, my brother had to, we, I was here in California, my sister is in Chicago, and my brother had to take on the entire thing of 
getting my mother assisted living and getting into a nursing home, all of that, and ask him, are you okay? What's going on? And he would just be like, 1.2, I'm asking you how you're doing. You know, but he wasn't able to express it because he's he was doing so much. Well, I think there are two things. First off, men, and I understand you have a lot of male listeners. Uh, this is ESPN. You don't have to be so stoic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised at how many men I have who call me for help. Uh, I always, you know, my default is always it's the daughter who's helping. But it really isn't. A lot of guys are taking care of their parents. Um, but they're so interesting when they call because where the woman who calls me, and this is no surprise, the woman who calls who calls me will really share a lot and develop a relationship and use me to help them think things through. The men will call up and very clinically say, okay, here's the situation. This is what I need. You know, tell me what to do. Bang, bang, bang. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, (laughs) and yet they're going through the same situation that their female counterparts are. They're just not allowing themselves to deal with it. I mean, this is huge. This is your mom or dad or grandfather or uncle, someone who has been an authority figure to you, and suddenly the roles are reversed. And it's very scary and sometimes yucky stuff that you're dealing with. Um, So I would just encourage the men, it is okay to find somebody to talk to and to really talk about it. And you're welcome to call me and talk about it because I know a lot of people don't want to go into talking about your mother's incontinence issues. Um, um, (laughs) But I will. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's tough. And then the other thing is just the load that caregivers put on themselves uh, in general. I don't have the statistic right offhand, but the loss in productivity from family caregivers uh, out of the workforce is huge. It's astronomical. And it is a fact that caregivers often get sicker than the people they're taking care of. There's higher incidence of alcoholism, of drug abuse, of chronic uh, illnesses developing because the stress and emotion and fatigue around taking somebody care of somebody is tremendous. Uh, and so caregivers have to remember the most important thing, the most important thing is to take care of themselves. You know, your parent is on a, your parent is on a journey and you are still younger and have many years ahead of you. And there is a lot you can do for your parent, but you can't do everything for them. And it's just such an important thing to remember. And I just ask the families I work with to just take a breath and relax, especially now when so much is out of your control. It's learning to let go. There's only so much that you can do. Sarah, I know... Again, on your website, assisted living locators, 
LA.com. You have a lot of great information and in how to get in touch with you. Let's go down some of the uh, warning signs for assisted living. The warning signs that somebody may be ready for assisted living? Well, the clearest ones are uh, things that you may see every day and you may mistake. You may not understand that they are warning signs. It's, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, if you go to the house and the house is dirty, it's not being kept up and your mother or father used to be neat. Uh, it's if you look in the fridge, there's no food, there's small, there's spoiled food. Uh, your parent is clearly not eating. They're losing track of their medications, uh, forgetting to take them or taking too large of a dose. Um, medication mismanagement is a huge, huge problem with older adults. Uh, weight loss. They have trouble getting around the house. They may be in a two-story house. I moved somebody recently. <clears throat> he was walking down. These, he had stairs to get to his mailbox. You know, and he was walking down. His, his driveway was on an incline and walking down the stairs to get to his mailbox and fell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, they're not taking care of household repairs. Uh, and they're not making sound decisions, you know, that, that things that, that are everyday decisions one would make. All of a sudden, they're not making them. They're not turning off the stove. I wish I had that information a few years ago, but I'm glad you're here telling people about it so they can take action right now. And then also, if you have a family member in assisted living or a nursing home, you provide tips for keeping in touch during COVID-19. Right, right. Um, So, you know, there are a couple things you can do. I I just want to say up front that it is really difficult right now. You know, there's no way around it. There's no tip I can give you that's going to make up from for seeing your parent in person. Nothing is going to make up with that. Everything is uh, a second <laughs> is second rate. But within that, mm-hmm. I would say the first thing you have to do is to have heart about the situation. I have a lot of people calling me that are very angry with the facilities. They don't feel like staff is oh. returning their phone calls, paying attention to them, you know, really? being prompt enough. And I just want to say that you need that staff to be on your side. They're your eyes and ears. Um, they're the ones that are taking care on a minute-by-minute basis of your parent. And so if you're trying to get information about your parent and they don't call back right away and um, they're not as responsive as you like, just remember that they are busy. And a lot of facilities right now have uh, their staff numbers are lower because there are people out either taking care of their own children who are home, yes. or they may be, or they may be sick. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other nice thing I, I thing I recommend is set a schedule. If you want to do video conferencing, uh, it's a terrific way to communicate with your parent or family member. Uh, it might be that they need assistance with the staff from the staff to be able to accomplish that. 
instead of just try, you know, saying, I need, you know, I need to FaceTime my mom now, set an appointment, have, try to have a schedule, you know, set up with the administrator or the activity director or a nurse charge nurse that every Tuesday and Thursday at two o'clock, you'd like to talk to your mom so that there are expectations on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the most important thing is communication. Um, Sending your parents cheerful notes and photos is a nice thing. Uh, we've gotten out of the habit of writing letters, but people of your parents' generation are letter writers. So write them letters and give them something to do, as I may have mentioned. Uh, send them over a big box of stationery or some uh, blank cards and some stamps and envelopes and have them write back and to write to the different people in their life who are important to them. That can be a great activity for them while they're unable to get out or see you. Um, and then one of the other things that's really, really huge, especially for people with dementia, is to provide them with music. Um, studies have shown that music is really rooted in our consciousness and unconscious brain. I mean, Laferne, I could probably say to you, what was your music when you were 16 to 20 years old? And you know it and you could pop it out. So can your grandparents. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So can our grandparents or our parents. That that music is, is ingrained in their brain. And what's so interesting is people with dementia, they don't lose music. So if you have time and you can get an iPod uh, or headphones, you know, make a playlist for them and send it over. It will be, you will be amazed at the impact that will have for them. Thank you so much, Sarah. This is so helpful and it it helps me so much, you know, in, in thinking back on what we did with my mother and father and assisted living and what my uh, mother-in-law is going through now. Definitely are one of the angels. How can people get a hold of you, ask you questions, and share more of what you're doing, Sarah? Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Laferne. It is really a blessing that you are interested in this subject. I just want to say there's so little education going on about aging and how it impacts us. So this is a real service. Uh, People are welcome to contact me. My website is assistedlivinglocatorsla.com, and my Phone number is 310-853-8282. Happy to chat with you and to refer you out, if I'm not able to help you, to uh, appropriate resources in our community. Uh, thank you so much again. Tara Ordover She's, is the senior living expert with a particular specialization in dementia care. Again, visit assistedlivinglocatorsla.com. And thank you to all of the caregivers out there. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Laferne. 710 ESPN. I'm Laferne Cusack. See you next week. You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack. Getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on 710 ESPN. ESPN.